Shalom and welcome to Product Nation, a weekly podcast by product managers in Silicon Valley covering how tech product gets created and executed by some of the most accomplished product experts in the world. I am Ofer Barav and today with me and my co-host Nir Paz, we welcome Oded Klimel. Nir, Mamatsav. All good, Ofer. How are you? No traffic today. No traffic. What are those trees in the background? <laughs> That's uh, my virtual Fiji, uh, my favorite <laughs> island in the world. <laughs> Nothing like a Zoom background. <laughs> oh, did Manishma? No, oh, that's okay. How are you, Ofer? How are you, Anir? I'm yeah, doing great. awesome. It looks like uh, you don't have a Fiji in the background. No, no Fiji. I, I'm currently in a bit of cabin fever with all this lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> But every, everybody's looking great and uh, everybody's adapting here to the new reality. So uh, let's get started. Oded, tell us about you in a couple of minutes, how you got here to Silicon Valley and what you're up to today. Awesome. So I started about 20 years ago in the high-tech industry. I, I graduated my industrial design studies afterwards in a master's degree and kind of moved between companies. I started as a consultant, uh, then moved to SAP Labs, Microsoft, uh, then uh, HP, I moved from HP. And today I'm at a cool startup called uh, Rubrik here in the Valley that is doing amazing things. I'll maybe talk about it a bit later. So what caused the actual move to the barrier? When I worked for HP Software, I moved through the ranks quite nicely and became head of a UX for HP Software, which was great. And I had a lot of travel, which uh, was okay. But at a certain point of time, I decided that the right move for me professionally was to move here and expand my impact better. And at the same time, I wanted to also give my kids an opportunity to experience something different. And the Bay Area seemed like the perfect place to do that. So later, I became chief design officer of HP Software. I have been here for about, I think, three and a half years now. And what's the UX like at HP? When I joined HP, I, I found out, I was surprised to find out that there's no real uh, core UX group team. There were mostly a lot of UX people that were spread across the organization. But nothing that coordinated them together. started building a team and started working. And the, my main goal was to drive impact. I think that driving impact is, a, at least from my perspective, that's the best way to enjoy life and make the most of where you are. And it really got an amazing recognition from the organization. The CEO was so proud of the team. Everybody wanted something that looked good and, and gave a good experience, reached out to us. And the team continued to grow to grow. But then at a certain point of time, I kind of understood something that, you know, everybody saw me and the team that we built up, we built up an amazing uh, culture inside the company and started forming this pillar that didn't exist, which was great. On the other hand, people didn't perceive UX as something strategic to the company. And it struck me one day and I said, you know, how can I move the needle and move it from something that's just about nice design, cool, easy to use? into something that can be perceived by the leadership of the company as strategic and important enough to invest in. And at the time, HP Software was a business of roughly 100 plus products, $4.5 billion in revenue. And we have products that ranged across multiple domains. And they just bought a company called Autonomy. You probably heard about it in the news because they spent about $11 billion buying it. And they were stuck. <laughs> they bought this amazing technology But there was not a lot of things that they could sell out of it. And they were like, we just invested $11 billion, dollars, but what are we going to do with it? And I reached out to the architect there and I told him, you know what, listen, user experience is all about storytelling. And that's what we do good. And I told him, let, let me help you out. 
I built this kind of, uh, a, I call it Tiger Team. And we went on and wrote a story around the uh, connected city. And we took all the technologies of that big data and packed them up and showed how, by leveraging the technologies of that big data, we can manage a smart city in a more effective manner. And that was a hit. We created a very short video showing that out, shared it internally. It went viral. About a month later, there was HP's annual event, 6,000 people coming there. They put it on main stage, wow. and it started really generating a lot of revenue. And that was the game changer from my perspective, because then I became from this nice to have, nice UI, cool, easy to use, to something strategic. And that also paved my personal path to becoming the chief design officer of the company, because suddenly it was, we need UX. This is something that's a game changer for the company. Okay, so and this is very, very interesting. Can you break this into parts? What does UX even mean to the listener? And in the context of, in this case, I guess, a smart city, what are we talking about? And what did you do that was such a game changer? So one, we told a story. We started by telling a story of, okay, we took an event in a city. We took an imaginary city. We started by London, by the way, but when we found out that we had some problems logistically, because our story was about a tree falling, hitting a power line. Okay, but apparently in London, the power lines are under the ground. So we moved it to the US <laughs> <laughs> and we had the tree falling, it hits a power line. And in that instant, what happens is that people are starting to tweet about it. Our big data technology that we had, had sniffers that can in live connect to all the data that's running and already generate a, an incident for the fire department and for the electric company and for the police because they're already seeing a trend inside the tweets about that. So that's one element of the big data. Now, after it fell down, you need a system to be able to manage the multiple first responders into the event, right? So we actually designed the system that shows how the big data, we're collecting information in live based on that event from all the news channels. We're collecting data from different cameras that you have CCD cameras that are usually spread across the city for security, for traffic. And we're all plugging all that information to our system that's at the first responders. Now, that first responder can also get feeds that automatically, our big data and analytics, automatically generate and tell them, listen, if it fell in this area, we can foresee that these streets will be need to close down. And automatically, we also given the forecasting of saying, listen, in most events in the past, we needed three to four people to manage this, and it automatically dispatches notifications to the electric company to dispatch a team, to the police officers to come in. And so we've been using all the analytics to generate what will happen to forecast for traffic, to forecast how many people we'll need. And when you go forward in that event, as we're also giving an insight to that operator, telling, listen, it's about 12 p.m., school is going to end soon call the school to notify them that there is an event to hold back the students and it automatically pops up a small thing that you can take action on. Now, it, the story continues. I won't elaborate too much about yeah. it. And then it ends with the fact that you see uh, the electric technician come to the site. He puts these augmented reality glasses on top and they take the layer of information of the maps that exists, put it on top of the actual reality, and then he can see where the power lines actually run. That's another layer of the technology that we had in the big data domain at the time. No, this is not just the video. This is the actual product that did all these, yeah, these capabilities. So we, we packaged everything together into an imaginary product that encompassed all the technologies together in telling that story of how big data and the technologies that we acquired can make a difference. And the funny thing about it, by the way, 
is that about two years later, uh, the chief architect reached out to me and told me, Oded, this is the last time I'm going to do a project with you. And I told him why. I, he told me, listen, Oded, since we released that video, every few months I get a call for someone, I, we want to buy the product. <laughs> and I need to explain to them, we don't really have the product, we just have the solutions. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it sounds it sounds like it's it's basically several systems all connected together. You just packaged it as 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 an imaginary product, right? Exactly. But you know, to yeah. connect to Offer's question, what is user experience? User experience is about storytelling. If you look at anything around us today, it's all about your we're telling stories. It's you know, if you look 20 years back, user experience would be about the UI, right? But in today's reality, think about it. It's all about a story. Part of the story is connected to screens, part isn't. Think about your journey to to uh, I don't know, let's assume you were in the office today, even though we were in lockdown. You go into your car, there's a UI connecting with you with the phone. You get to your office, everything connects to everything, right? The car, the phone, your watch, your computer, everything's connected. Even in your house, everything's connected. The speaker, the TV. So when me or someone like me is building a good UX, they're actually weaving a story that connects various experiences into one experience that you feel that technology is working for you and not you're working for technology. Let's take these capabilities and fast forward to what you're doing today. And if you can maybe paint a story more about the discovery, because I'm sure you don't just have a, aha, we're going to do it this way. It's more of a let's discover it together. Can you talk about the process and how you come up with that end product that looks just fantastic? And what is it that you're doing today? Maybe weave those two. Yeah. So first of all, today I'm the VP head of design for Rubric. And at Rubrik, what we do, maybe I'll explain two sentences what Rubrik does. Rubrik, I think, is the, as of date, is one of the fastest growing startups in Silicon Valley history. And what we're doing at Rubrik is that we started from the notion of backup, which is nice, and we made it more effective. But what we did, which is smarter, we don't look at the backup as just bits of data. We're looking at it as data that has value, and we're collecting it. And as we collect it, we create a layer of data, and we're building solutions on top of it. So we built a solution around security, and we currently released a, a, a solution around data governance, and we plan to, to release more solutions on that. And actually, we're becoming a data management company. That's why, by the way, a Rubrik has been evaluated at $3.3 billion recently. And at Rubrik, uh, the goals are a bit different, because what is good user experience? You know, when I came to Rubrik, my goal that I set up for myself and for my team was that I want to be the gold standard for, in the enterprise, for simplicity, ease of use, and consumer-grade look and feel. And when you think about the enterprise domain, it's a domain that for years was neglected because people were saying, okay, it's okay. It's an enterprise product. It can be nice. We can make it more beautiful, but it can be complex. But when you think about it, the added value and the differentiator that companies will have looking forward is taking this very complex domain of the enterprise and simplifying it because there's no real reason why this, these complex problems should remain complex. And that's, by the way, one of the, uh, one of the things that I've attributed to Rubrik's success in the market is that if you ask anybody today of our customers, what's the most easy to use simple solution around backup or data management of backup, they'll say Rubrik. And it's not because we reinvented the wheel. It's because we took a different approach. To some extent, you can look at the revolution that happened when iPhone came into the market. They offered something that gave you flexibility, but not all the flexibility, right? They said, we know better for you what you really need. And they limited you. And that limitation, the less is more like they like to say, right? That limitation 
created the differentiator that people said, I like that simplicity of Apple. And even technological people that if you'd ask them, wait a minute, do you want me to limit you on A, B, C, D? They'll tell you no. But when they got an iPhone into their hands, suddenly they were happy. They said, well, this is amazing, right? Simple, intuitive. But actually, we took out of functionality. And Android, at the time, I don't know if you remember, gave everything. You can do anything you want. But if you take fast forward today and look at the prism of smartphones today, Android have kind of aligned with that direction that iPhone did at Which the time. Which functionality did we take out, use. just to be more specific? Yeah. If you look at Android, they gave you the ability to do anything and everything you wanted to configure everything and anything. And iPhone said, no, we're going to limit you on the abilities of what you can configure. We're going to limit the look and feel as well. We're going to have it very, very defined. And Android at the time felt half-baked because of that. But today, if you look at it, they inserted the material design. If in the past, you could have gone to settings on Android and defined anything and configured everything, today you can't do that anymore. And that transition is exactly the thing that I'm trying to push into the enterprise domain, saying, okay, let's learn our audience better. Let's understand our users. Because, you know, the simplest thing as a UX or as a PM is to give the freedom to the customer to do anything they want. But think about the analogy as a document. I can choose to put everything in bold, but can someone really discern this document? Can someone really read it out? Someone needs to take that bold decision of saying, this is more important than that, and defining this is a title, and this is a header, and this is a content, right? So that's the exercise right now we're doing at Rubric. We're trying to really pinpoint, to understand our customers, to understand what they need, when they'll need it, what's our value that we'll be driving in our solution, Packaging it up in a, in a solution that doesn't essentially give you everything to do or endless possibilities of configuration, but you get what you really need to do. So you said something and, that's almost like a new term for me because you mentioned you're doing a, an enterprise product with a consumer grade. I love that. Can you explain that yeah. a little more? I'll tell you what, because like I said in the beginning, when you think about the consumer space today, you open your phone, you open anything you do in the consumer space today. You go on Airbnb, right? You, you go on kayak to order a flight. You expect it to be simpler and intuitive and anything that's less than that, you're like, I, I don't care. I don't need to be here, right? The price of migrating to another solution is zero, right? For years in the enterprise space, people were fixated with that notion that the price of migrating to another solution is very expensive. Well, so we can give people literally anything, crap, to, to do and they'll be happy and they'll do it because they're getting paid to do it, right? But that notion has changed because today with all the SaaS solutions, and the, and the price of, of moving to a different solution has been so low that if you're not happy with your workday solution, you can easily transition to another solution. You're not happy with your uh, Zoom solution or with your online conferencing solution, no problem. I'll just move to another solution, right? So all of these are enterprise solutions. And the game changer today is to do that mental transition to say, okay, how do, if I want to be successful tomorrow, how can I make that transition? into becoming consumer grade, meaning being simple, being intuitive, taking those bold decisions about what is important and what isn't, where do we focus, where do we limit our users, and where do we give them flexibility in order to give them that opportunity to get that simple and very clean solution. The thing is, in consumer products, the discovery process is very different. You have many, many consumers on a platform, you collect the data, you get the insights, and then you have actually data that you can work with. In the enterprise world, though, it's a little bit different. So you have 
a bunch of customers, not many, maybe one single digit percent that drives a lot of your revenue. And they're big customers and they are more important maybe than other customers. And then you have a long tail of different type of medium, small and other customers. And the way to get data from them is a little bit different. How do you go about the discovery process in order to make these decisions of what is more important than what? I think that, you know, that's the exact difference between a good PM and a bad PM. Sorry for saying that. You know, it's about taking the decisions. You know, in, in our domain, a lot of people are afraid of taking decisions. The data is out there, as you mentioned. And as opposed to the consumer segment, that any small tweak you do has a huge impact. I remember, you know, I, I was in charge of Microsoft antivirus that when I left had 70 million users. Every small twist has a huge impact. When you're talking about the enterprise domain, you have a few thousand customers at maximum. You know your target audience. You know, as you mentioned, who are the top revenue uh, customers. You just have to take the call of where is my focus. And if you look at startup companies, companies uh, that have succeeded or failed, you can see that the companies that had a very clear focus on what they want to do, where's my sweet spot, where is my revenue coming from, and the developed for that were the companies that really succeeded. And going back to, to our problems, one, we're really fortunate at Rubrik because it's a very customer-centric company, and we have a whole uh, engagement uh, team that's focused only on engaging with customers. If I, you know, I wanted to do some usability studies recently, I just sent out an email to that team within a, about two or three days, I had 11 customers lined up for that study. So, but again, it, in the enterprise domain, you have significantly more leverage on who are my real customers? What is their actual usage? You can reach out, have discussion, and understand what are their pain points? What will they go home for? You know, as opposed to the consumer segment that it's significantly more fractalized. One thing that really excites me about this point of view is that, you know, much like Steve Jobs that basically created mm -hmm. a new world and changed behavior as a consequence versus those PMs that might say, no, no, we need to adapt to people's existing behavior. And I can think of several failures like Better Place, for example, that try to use the behavior of plugging a gas uh, hose into a, into a car and thinking we're just going to do the same thing and adapt it for the battery, that model didn't quite work well. Maybe for other reasons as well, but still, is there a process that you go by? Because part of it has to be metrics-based, and the other part is art. Talk about that. Yeah, so I think you touched based on, I think, one of the biggest uh, challenges that we face today with technology. If you look in the past 100 years, you can see that technology has shifted significantly. Some people didn't want to shift out from it. They wanted to continue with their own path without rethinking. Look at Uber as a great case study for that, by the way. Uber, Lyft, doesn't matter. But they said, okay, we have technology. Let's rethink the way that we can order a taxi. What value can this smartphone plus technology give us? So we, we understand the problem space. How can we reimagine it? And if you see, look at the solutions that have been successful around us, there are the solutions that try to reimagine the way that we interact. They challenge the basic factors of, uh, okay, why are we doing that? Even driving, you know, one of the biggest things that are super conservative are driving. I don't know if you know, I, in 1996, I think, Mercedes did this amazing experiment. They, they said, okay, the steering wheel, why do we need it? Because technically it's not connected to the wheels anymore, right? 
And it's, it's a very interesting story because they did an experiment about drive-by-wire, like, like combat planes. You know, you don't, you don't fly a combat plane with a stick. You have a small stick on the side, like a joystick. That's how you fly the plane. And they tried the same notion in cars. And uh, apparently, they, did this, they took people that were in the right age to drive and the right capabilities, but didn't have a license. And they taught them driving and then experimented how their abilities to navigate the car compared to people who did the standard driving. And apparently, it's significantly better from every perspective. But they were afraid to take that bold move into disrupting the industry and risking losing the business. As you can see today, we're doing a quantum leap with the fact that someone said, okay, why should anybody even drive? We have the technology. Let's just do the next leap. And, and if you look at it, when people challenge and are willing to take that leap, I think customers follow. Because you see, people are really eager to take these new technologies and not drive anymore. Someone at work told me this ridiculous story that he doesn't want to drive his Tesla, so he puts an orange there so that it doesn't beep because his hands are not on the steering wheel. So I think that as product leaders, as experience leaders, as design leaders, I think that in order to be a leader, you need to be bold enough and secure enough and believing in yourself to say, you know what? We need to do that quantum leap. Evolution is not the right way to do the revolution. So inherent in what you say is also the willingness or the openness to realize that you could fail miserably. Can you give an example of where you said, okay, hands up, I took the wrong approach? I think that, you know, in most processes, at least that I've been involved in, you always hit a wall. And, you know, you always hit a wall. And every time you do something that's different or try to do something that's different, you'll hit a wall. The question is, is it worth the price? You know, is it worth the outcome? You know, even when I look back, I remember a specific story. When I worked for HP, I came with this idea. That was about 10 years ago. Them, you know what? We had this new solution for managing a platform of developing smartphones. And I told them, you know, why don't we position the information in tiles instead of a list of items? And you can take action on those tiles because it has more value for the user using tiles. And I had these huge arguments and we matured it internally, even wrote a patent about it. And today, that's one of the patents I personally am most proud of because today there isn't even one person alive that doesn't interact with that patent because it's become standard in the industry. But 10 years ago, the developers didn't want to do that transition because they were afraid. And I think that- Wait, you invented tiles? Explain exactly. Taking, you know, any actionable tile that you take on today is my patent. It was something everybody interacted with. What am I using in Zoom or here that that uses it? Any tile, any tile you would, exactly, a Zoom tile that you click on and you can have actions on. So on your behalf, HP is making royalty for every tile. Yeah, HP is not making royalty because HP does the defensive patents. They, they don't sue other companies. It's kind of companies, you know, they have a lot of patents. That's how they can use other people's patents without paying. <laughs> but Itai Vonchak, which we had here on another show, uses a lot of tiles. That's part of material <laughs> I.O., yeah. right? So yeah. That, yeah. Uh, that concept, that's pretty yeah. incredible. Wow. Yeah. The usage of tiles that you can interact with, again, today... For you, it's trivial, right? As you mentioned, it's totally. used on Zoom. Yeah. Ten years back, it, it was not trivial. People were saying, why don't we just use a standard list, a table? Everybody's using a table. Why shouldn't we use a table? And articulating and doing that move, and again, you asked about hitting a wall. So in the beginning, I hit a wall because when you start a new notion, not everything fits in, and suddenly that great idea has a lot of complications that you need to solve out. But if you're persistent and if you fail, 
try again, fail, try again, fail. Eventually, you'll be successful. Maybe eventually you'll say, you know what? I took the wrong turn. Let's rethink this whole thing to get together. But I think that as a designer, the real satisfaction is when you brought something that's a game changer. But you can never change the game if you don't take a risk. Well, just so we can get a glimpse into how you think about design, pick something out there that you love. Talk to us from a design perspective, of course. Mm-hmm. It could be anything. Maybe pick something webby and then tell us about it. Then maybe how would you improve it? That's an that's a interesting question. Or if you want a different uh, take on this, since everybody's watching Netflix these days, pick a TV series that you love. Tell us what about it, the design of it you love and how would you change its, uh, its outcome? <laughs> so I, I'll tell you, I, I have a TV series that I really like. I, I wouldn't change anything about its outcome, but I like it. It's called Black Mirror. It's not a new one. It's been running for a few years. It has a few seasons. But what I like about it is that it challenges design. It takes something that's not in the far future. It's in the very near future. And it tries to position it in what are the challenges that the design brings into your game. And each chapter, they take a different segment of it. And when you look at reality today, you can see that they forecasted a lot of things very accurately. But the fact that they're challenging design and trying to push design to its limits is something beautiful about it. They even have a chapter about, yes. So you even have a chapter about uh, rating people. That's again, today, Uber driver, whatever. (laughs) And they show in that chapter that you get ratings and your ratings can give you a discount on renting a house. If you have a high rating, you get a better uh, deal on the car. You can get priority on your flight. Now, yeah, it's like Big Brother in uh, China, basically, what goes on today, right? Where you go to the, the street way, it, and... It happens exactly in China yeah. today. And it has a lot of pluses to it. You know, when today, when you're rating your Uber driver, you're saying, cool, I know if I get a good driver. What happens to the driver that, you know, and I know a real story about a passenger that a, had an argument with two drivers and their rating went down and no Uber driver was willing to take her, her ride anymore. Wow. What happens to those people? Right? What happens to the drivers that they were okay, but maybe they had a few crappy passengers and rated them below? Suddenly, this amazing story about we can rate and, and it will be, ha, only have the best drivers in becomes a nightmare to some really honest people that maybe took a few wrong turns in life. It was an amazing yeah. chapter, and what was even more amazing is that they were using tiles to put the numbers over everybody yeah. as a commented reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's, it, it, I think that each chapter of the Black Mirror show it really took a different perspective and a different technology. You even mentioned augmented reality uh, earlier. And augmented reality is an amazing concept. And I'm sure that you know, one of the biggest challenges today with augmented reality is that the devices you put on your face are so cumbersome and so complicated, people don't want to put it on their minds. But if you think about it, two minutes from now, it will be a small implant connecting to your nerves and your eyes, and you'll be able to operate it, right? And they had this amazing chapter that someone goes to an interview and, and they take a prism of someone's life, recording life through that uh, interaction and how it can go really, really wrong once you record everything. Do you like Westworld on HBO? I haven't seen that. Wow. Not in, highly, not in. highly recommend it. Season three just started and it is so good. By the way, there is another show on Netflix that I really recommend the audience listening to here to take a look at because it's very relevant. It's called Abstract, and each chapter takes yeah. a different design leader in the industry, different, different industries, and kind of focuses on them 
and shows how did they grow in their, in their lives to becoming the leaders and what is leadership from their perspective, which is amazing. We're coming to the end here and one more opportunity to ask or offer anything to our listeners. How can they reach you? So first of all, I really like your podcast and I think it's great you're creating this community. And I'm all for community helping community, so I'll be glad to assist anybody that wants any guidance, help, etc. If you're looking for a job and you're talented UX or UI, I'll be more than glad to, to, if you can share your details with me. My email is oded.climber at rubric.com. That's O-D-E-D dot K-L-I-M-E-R at rubric.com. And uh, so feel free to reach out or connect on LinkedIn. Other than that, I think you're doing an amazing podcast, so keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Really appreciate uh, you coming on the show, and uh, we learned a lot. Thank you very much.